0: Awesome. Well, can we give Luke a hand there tonight as well? And it's uh, it it is true. I've known Luke since he was like nine, ten years old or something like that. He was just this little kid, and and uh, I mean, Luke. I mean, it really is a treat to have Luke on our team here at Elam Church. I mean, the guy. I mean, Luke's pretty awesome, isn't he? right yeah like he this guy he can sing he can uh, he can play guitar, he can play the keyboard, I mean he can do some techno stuff on the keyboard as well, and uh, I mean this guy he, he he lifts weights, i mean, he could lift a car off the ground pretty much, he makes babies i mean this guy is. This guy is amazing. Is that enough, Luke, for the $20 you said you'd give me after? Okay, great. No, be, I, I sure appreciate having Luke on, on our team here at the church and Lorraine as well. Just, uh, where, is Lorraine around here? I can't see her. She's around here somewhere too. But just, you guys have, you're so blessed to have some incredible people that are involved in Young Adult Ministry that love you and are wanting the best for you and uh, just seeking God for wisdom and direction as they, uh. As they serve you well tonight uh, Luke did ask me to he, he told me that you guys been on this series called caution character under construction and and I, I love the topic of character building good character in our lives it's so important and so Luke gave me this uh, this title and he's like hey I'd like you to preach on this title and the, so the title is buy low sell high evangelism in a rock-bottom market that's a, that's a pretty scary title. Now, I am not going to be giving you any financial wisdom, advice tonight in the sense of buying low in the stock market. However, they always say buy gold. That's what they always say. But what I want to do tonight is share some, some tips on some spiritual investments that I want to encourage you tonight to make in your life, particularly as we talk about character. I mean, good godly character is intentionally built in private so that it is lived out in a natural, consistent manner in public. I mean, think of athletes. I mean, I think athletes understand this, where they will train, and generally that training is all done in, in secret. and done in private, and they're working hard, so that when they perform in public, it's, it's a natural ability for them. And right now, you are becoming the man or woman of your future, because of what you do in secret. The thoughts that you are believing about yourself today are are forming the person you believe you will be. The way that you resist or don't resist temptation are building blocks into what or who you are becoming. The decisions you are making to either please God or to please yourself is all about building character for the future. It's all about investing in the future. The the idea is that you're investing now when you're young, when the market is affordable, so that you have something valuable to share later on. Because as followers of Jesus, the goal of our lives is it's not about ourselves. It's meant to be about loving God and about loving others. So the question is, will you become someone who has something of value for others and so to dive in deeper on this we're gonna be looking into the Bible looking at uh, uh, first Peter and we're gonna be looking at chapter 3 and there's gonna be some verses on the screen but Peter he's what he's doing here is he's writing to Christians encouraging them to be growing and living out their lives for Jesus and so we jump in on verse 13 here and Peter writes to them and he says who is gonna harm you if you're eager to do good But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander." i love peter's assumption at the beginning of these verses i mean who would harm you if you're all about doing good if if you've been focusing on building good character in your life you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to worry about being hurt by others no one should be nasty to you for for being nice the idea of helping a grandma with her groceries or or maybe helping her across the street maybe pushing a neighbor neighbor's car out of a snowdrift, which I'm sure that a few of us probably had to do this last winter. Maybe, who would be, who would bring harm to you if you're smiling and, and saying nice words to strangers as you're walking by them on the street? Or if you buy a friend Tim Horton's coffee? I mean, who's going to harm you for doing that? And I love Peter's assumption here. I mean, the assumption is realistic. No one should harm you. No one should harm you for doing good, for being nice. But it's not, it's not the doing good part that Peter's really focusing on here for Christians. It's that, it's that the world doesn't understand the why part that Peter is addressing. As, as followers of Jesus, the motivation for having good character and for doing good is different than for the world. And I think a lot of people are willing to help and do kind things for others. That, who aren't Christians. I mean, they're willing to, to go out and, and be nice and, and sometimes it, it might be because they're expecting something in return. Maybe they've helped somebody and so they figure that that person owes them a favor. I actually was, I noticed on Facebook, a friend of mine who, had made a, a, who posted something and his wife and himself had just sold their house and, and now he said that he, he was cashing in all the times that he had helped other people move and so he was expecting them to come and help them, right? I mean, you return the favor, right? When you do something nice, somebody does something nice to you back. And, or sometimes it's easy to help or be kind and do good and be nice to others when there's a benefit for us, when there's a reward. But in the case of a Christian, for someone who follows Jesus, Jesus said this in Luke 6. Jesus said, love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you if someone slaps you on one cheek turn to them the other also if someone takes your coat do not withhold your shirt from them give to everyone who asks you and if anyone takes what belongs to you do not demand it back do to others as you would have them do to you i mean this is not normal for our brains i mean this is this is hard to compute But when we do live this way, the way that Jesus asks us to, it reveals our motivation. It reveals that it's out of love for Jesus, and it's only done by the Holy Spirit's work within us. So this motivation is a key part to building good character in our lives. What Peter is saying is, you might be harmed for doing good, but it's not because you are doing good. It's because you are a follower of Jesus, and the world doesn't get that. And it's as if he's saying uh, here as well, but remember, Jesus said it's good for you if you are persecuted for his name. He's with you. He isn't going to give up on you, so don't give up. And he says these, he says these words right here. You are blessed. Consider that you are blessed if you are harmed for doing good. I don't know about you but I recall times when I was in high school and I recall moments when I was mocked simply because I was a a Christian because I lived my life for Jesus I mean I was a pretty nice guy back in in high school I still am a pretty nice guy I think I mean I I smiled at people I, I had more hair. I think I was probably better looking back then in high school and and so I don't it's not like people were just Being nasty to me because I was ugly or like that. I mean, I I, I felt like That uh, I mean, I was friendly and and I was helping people out if they needed help. I was an encourager But I would have times when I would just be mocked simply because I followed Jesus I didn't get involved in the whole party scene, and I didn't get involved in things that would compromise my character. And it's the only way I could explain it is that people just didn't get it. And so they just had to make fun because I was different. And maybe you've experienced that yourself, and I can tell you, it's, it's easy to be a target when people don't understand your motivation, why you're living your life the way you do, especially when you live your life for Jesus. And it's from this point that Peter suggests that that there actually still could be a good outcome, even if harm comes your way. If you're doing good, harm comes your way. There still can be a good outcome. And it's the opportunity when when some people notice that there's something different in how you live your life. And he writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Just times when you're being harmed and, but you still respond with good character. You respond in a way that's not like other people would expect. You're responding the way that Jesus encouraged you and commanded you in Luke 6. And people ask the question, what, what's different about you? I mean, that, that person totally just roasted you in, in front of everybody. Got them all laughing at you and, and you didn't do anything. You just smiled and you were nice back to them. Or that person lied about you to the boss. I mean, you didn't attack them or get angry at them or try to get revenge. What's, what's up with that? Or when those people gossiped about you 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 didn't go out and spread rumors and try to defend yourself and and say nasty things about them there's something wrong with you why are you so different peter assumes that the way that we live our lives should cause people to be curious and want answers to why we are different as followers of jesus to let your godly character speak for itself because people will notice. So I was thinking through th- these verses. I, I was wondering if, if, this, if this verse right here, if Peter was reminiscing on something that Jesus had said. Because in earlier in, in Matthew five sixteen, Jesus said, "...in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." there's a correlation that when people see beyond the good deeds to the motivation for why you're doing these good deeds, that that our good deeds are because of our love for Jesus, it's then that people are drawn to him. People see beyond the good deeds. They see our motivation, our love for Jesus, and they are drawn to him. When you live your life honoring God at the forefront, Peter suggests that there will be an impact on lives around you. And what it is it's it's an act of evangelism. This word e- evangelism it's a word that we often throw out in a church setting and maybe maybe you've heard this word used a lot. But maybe you haven't really given a lot of thought of what it refers to. Evangelism is sharing or preaching the good news of and about Jesus. We often refer to this as sharing the gospel. And generally the gospel message breaks down like this. It includes a warning, an explanation, and then a call. And, and so the warning part is, is warning people about sin and the consequences of sin. That there's separation from God that, that leads to death. It includes the, the explanation of God's remedy for sin. That Jesus died on the cross. He took our place and deserved punishment. And then it includes the clear call to repent, to turn from sin and to turn toward God and believe in Jesus. And really what evangelism is, it's, it's about telling the most important story to humanity. That there is hope, there's reason, there is purpose to our lives. When I think of this word evangelism, I think of when I was a kid. I only understood evangelism from one perspective. It was a direct approach perspective. You you had to go out and tell people about Jesus. I think of a time when an older man uh, took myself and and a few of my friends from from the local church we were attending. And we went out into the the neighborhood. And the idea is we're going to go door to door and knock on on the doors and, and tell people about Jesus. Invite them to the church as well. And I was like 11 years old. And I remember having to go up to the first door and, and knock on the door. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to say. But, but out of my mouth, I, I, as they opened the door, I had to think of something. And just the idea is, ah, yeah, hi. I'm just, had to tell them I'm down from the, I'm around, I'm from the local church down the road. and, I'm here to just tell them that Jesus loves them. And, and then I gave them a track, which the track had the whole story of the gospel message. And and then basically invited them to church. I can tell you, I was really out of my comfort zone that day. Having to knock on the doors. And and that was my perspective about evangelism. Was that evangelism was knocking on the door. and And maybe not necessarily just a physical door, but it could be just... Knocking on the door and interrupting people's conversations or interrupting what's going on in their lives and then and trying to get involved in there and just tell them the gospel message or tell them about Jesus. And oftentimes it was with strangers on the street and the idea is that it just interrupt their lives and just tell them the the, gospel, the story. And oftentimes they didn't even know what the story was. They had never even heard of the, the story of Jesus before and, and you had to kind of just... Uh, give them a quick explanation about it, and then basically try to lead them to Jesus. And that was my perspective of evangelism. That's what I thought it was. I even learned what's called the Romans' road to salvation, using verses from the book of Romans to share the gospel message. Starting with Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, sorry. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then leading to the next verse, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And then sharing about God's love for them in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then trying to land on Romans ten nine, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I, mean, I know amazing people who have an incredible gift of evangelizing this way. And I love hearing their stories of how they would walk on the street, that they would just ask somebody if they could just pray for them. And, and as they began to just pray for them, they would be able to just share about God's power as they were praying for them. And, and hearing stories even in those moments where God actually healed and manifested His power that way. And, and they were able to to share about Jesus and lead them to the Lord right there. I mean, I love hearing those stories. Or, or times where they would go and sit at the bus stop and, and just wait for someone to come and sit there and then just dive into a conversation with them, asking them about life. Questions maybe of what they might think what hap- would happen after they would die. And then and from there, be able to share a little bit about hope and, and share the gospel story. And, and even there in those times, lead people to Jesus. And there are the people that have a gift to evangelize this way. And I know without a doubt that there are times that the Holy Spirit will prompt you to tell someone about Jesus. And there's this burning feeling that you you have within you, an urgency to open your mouth. And and I encourage you, if that ever happens to you, or if that's happened to you, you know what I'm referring to. But if it does happen to you, I encourage you, don't, don't resist that prompting. God will give you the words to say, and you know what? He's probably already preparing the heart of the other person's, the other individual. God's probably already preparing their heart to receive something from you. But that was my perspective of evangelism. But Peter, in this verse here, gives us another approach to evangelism. There's an assumption that because you have allowed good character to form in your life, and there's the work of the Holy Spirit happening, that people are going to notice. And it's like Peter is saying, you don't always need to be knocking on that door. Live with your door wide open so that people will see something different and they will ask you about that difference. Live your life to show the gospel message, the redemption story of a sinner who had no hope surrendering to God's love, that others would see the love of Jesus in you, that they would see the joy, they would see the hope that is evident in your life, and people would want what you have because they are longing for that. It's about living a hope-filled life in a world that seems to be so hopeless. for those that focus on what's going on around in the world, it's pretty easy to, to have growing doubts, to be filled with fear and find reason to have no hope. And I, I, and I know, I know that we live in a world that is without hope. Corruption, acts of hatred, murder, abuse, I mean, the list can go on. I mean, what hope is there that could fill the emptiness that we feel? It was Blaise Pascal who was, who was a math- mathematician and theologian. I, I didn't know those words could go together. Mathematician and theologian. And he wrote these words. And I'm sure they're familiar to many of you. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. I mean, this is where hope begins. Having Jesus in your life. But I know that so often as Christians, it's like we can have this hope sucked out of us. And we find ourselves living with anxiety. We find ourselves living in fear. It's like we lose sight of our hope because... Maybe possibly because Jesus is no longer the center. We've, instead, we've put our circumstances in the, in the center and we focus on that and we lose hope. So the question is, how do we keep hope alive within us? So that others can see something different when we live our lives with the door open. So that we can evangelize that way. They will see something different within us. They will ask what that hope is that we have. So to keep that hope alive, you need to intentionally surrender self every day. Remind yourself that your life is no longer about you. It's about Jesus. And a a hope-filled life is so focused on Jesus, and it's about getting up every morning and saying, Jesus, today... This day is yours. Every part of it. Every morning, as a family, I, I pray with my wife and our boars. Not our boars. Our boys. <laughs> they sometimes might sound like boars, but uh, every morning, we get up and I pray with my wife and our boys. And part of that prayer is that we would be attentive and obedient to how God is leading us throughout the day. But if we don't intentionally remind ourselves that our hope is Jesus, we lose sight and we become discouraged. Intentionally surrender self every day. We're coming up next month to the, the Easter weekend. I know many Christians take part in what's known as Lent, which is a 40-day period of of fasting. Most often it's fasting food, but it could be giving up some sort of activity, like maybe watching TV, video games, or giving up some social media. But it's an act of self-denial, so that we would remember where our hope is. Self-denial is... One of the deepest evidences of a hope filled life because you don't rely on yourself. It's an intentional reminder to take the focus off you. That's one way that we keep hope alive within us. We surrender self every day. Another important way to keep hope alive is to remind yourself of God's promises. there is a reason for our hope the Bible is full of promises and some people have tried to count how many promises are in the Bible some have estimated that there's over 3,500 promises that they have counted other people have said there's like 7,000 promises I don't know how they can get such a different number but I mean regardless of how many promises are in the Bible the one thing I do know about these promises is that God is faithful to keep his promises When I am discouraged, I hold on to the promise that God is for me and will finish the work he started within me. When times I've felt lonely, I remind myself that God is always with me. He will never forsake me. When I'm scared, I remind myself that the God is my protector. He's my defender. He's my shield. Times when I am disappointed, I remember that, that God is at, my, at work in my life for my good. Even though it might not be what I want, but it's for my good because he knows what's best. I mean, knowing God's promises builds hope in your life. There was a, a season when I was in youth ministry where our leadership team had purchased a number of promise books. There were uh, promises from the Bible that were put together in, in a book and they were organized by theme. And so if you were struggling with, with anxiety, you could turn to the page on anxiety in there. There would be a bunch of verses in there that would uh, of God's promises that he will be with you and that he will encourage you. That, so promises along the, the, the lines of anxiety. Or if you were struggling with depression, you'd be able to turn to that topic and find promises that would encourage you in that area. And it was so encouraging to give these books to the youth. Because in, in moments, in their circumstances that they were facing, they could, they could quickly go to this book and just find God's word, verses from God's word that would bring encouragement and hope to them. I mean, we have so many resources today. I mean, it's so easy to just jump on the, the internet and Google some verses, which is, that's great. It's great. Some great tools to use. We could quickly turn to our Bible and flip through the pages. But I want to encourage you, if, if you want to hold on to God's promises, I, 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 want, I want to encourage you to take time to memorize verses that that stick out to you as you're reading through the Bible and just promises and, and it's, like it's speaking to you. Just to take a moment to memorize that verse and commit it to memory and then it's easier to recall back to your, to your mind and impact your heart and... Bring encouragement and hope to your situation. Memorizing scripture is an important part for us to to remain and keep hope alive within us. But one more way to keep hope alive as you live with the door open so that people will see there's something different about you is to write out and know your testimony. Testimony. And your testimony is, is evidence that God has changed your life. It's the story of how he has rescued you from a place of no hope. There's a guy, Kyle Winkler, wrote on the word testimony, which it's, it's actually translated from the Greek word martyria, which means evidence. And he writes that the word testimony may be defined as the evidence of what nearly killed you. It's the evidence of how you made it through your toughest trial, how you overcame your past, or perhaps how you're even still alive today. Your testimony is your story, which includes the pain you've been through on the way to where you are today. In college, when I was in college, I, I was in a class, and I had a part of the, one of the assignments was I had to write my testimony, and then I had to get up and, and share my testimony in front of the class. When I was, I was 19 years old, and, and I'm trying to wrap my, my mind around writing my story. The first thoughts that came to my mind was this. I don't have an amazing testimony. That, that was the first thought that came to my mind. The thought was, I mean, I I was, I grew up in a a Christian home. I mean, it was, it was messy. I mean, it was, it was dysfunctional at times. I grew up going to church. I gave my life to Jesus at a young age. I didn't get involved in drugs, alcohol. I certainly didn't kill anybody. I mean, did I, I don't think I, I, my mind was, I, I don't think I have a testimony. And so I was sharing that with with a friend of mine, he was a, a pastor at the time. He's older and basically a mentor in my life. It's like it's like he just shook me. I mean, he didn't physically, but it's like he shook me inside. He said, what are you talking about? You have an amazing testimony. You have a, an amazing testimony of God's grace, God's protection in your life, God's love, his blessing in your life. You have an incredible testimony that others need to hear. And on part of that, it's just sharing that It's not necessarily even the testimony of salvation, how I gave my life to Jesus, but it's the times where God rescued me. The times where God rescued me from my dark thoughts. The times that God rescued me from deep loneliness, from the hurt and pain that I experienced from growing up in a broken and dysfunctional family. Every single one of us here have an amazing, incredible story of how God has rescued us. Because you are evidence of that. You are the you are the evidence of your testimony, of how God has rescued you. And each one of us need to share that story, because when you share your testimony, it connects it, it connects you with others because you are sharing a story of a, of a struggle that that probably they can relate to and when you share your story of finding hope what happens is be- that that hope becomes contagious and others begin to find hope within your testimony because it's a story of the one who gives us hope i mean i i love hearing god's stories i love hearing about Times where God intervened in people's lives and and people's broken situations and, and moments where there seemed to be no hope. I love sitting down and just hearing people's stories of how God intervened. And when we live our lives with the door open, it's the opportunity, it's the invitation for people to ask us our testimony. It's the invitation for people to see that hope and ask how do you have that hope? I want it. Living the door open, wide open. Living our lives with the door wide open. It's an act of evangelism. am just going to be closing just with this story about a young man named William Borden. When he was born the heir of of a million-dollar family fortune in the, the late 1800s. And at age six, he was attending church with his, his mom and his siblings. And he, he wrote these words in a little notepad that he had. He says, at age six, he wrote, it's going to be some spelling errors here. He says, I want to be an honest man when I grow up, and true and loving and kind and faithful Man, at age six, he's already thinking about building good character in his life. I mean, I don't think he was thinking about the investment that it would bring later on in his life. But at age six, he's thinking about building good character in his life. At age seven, he gave his life to Jesus when he was at, uh, at, at church listening to the preacher. And he continued to grow. And, and after high school his parents paid for him to travel the world, just to have an experience before going off into university. And so he traveled with, with a, a pastor, a missionary guy that they, his parents trusted him with. And he traveled through Asia and through different parts over there. And, and he wrote home to his parents, sharing that he was sensing this call to become a missionary. God was tugging at his heart. And he was seeing the need around him of, of people that were broken, people that didn't have hope. And it was his dad who said, uh, that's not going to happen right now. You're coming back home and you're going to, you're going to university. But it was at, at that time, it's reported that, that William Borden, in the, the cover of his Bible, had written the words, no reserves. And just the idea that he wasn't going to put his trust in the financial situation that he was in. I mean, he was basically a millionaire already, but he wasn't, wasn't going to put his trust in, in the finances. He was sensing this call By God to go out, but he went off to Yale University in Connecticut. And in his freshman year, he attended a student volunteer movement conference, and it was there that he heard from a well-known missionary at the time who who spoke on spoke and challenged people to live their lives on mission for Jesus. And it was a it was a message that impacted William and set a fire in his heart to tell others about Jesus to live his life with the mission. Focusing on Jesus. And so then what he did was he, throughout that, that year at, at the first year of university, he, he began to meet with one other guy. And just every week, they would just meet and pray and study the Bible. And then they would invite another person to join in and meet and pray. And then they would invite another person to come and join and meet and pray and study the Bible. And, and by the end of the year, they 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 with the different small groups that they had going they had 150 people involved in the first year i mean and william borden he was a regular guy he was involved in and in some of the clubs with boxing and, and other sports clubs i mean he was a regular guy who but he had a passion for jesus and we read that by the end of his year at, uh, his final year at university this this bible study this prayer time it, it continued to grow and In his final year, there was 1,000 people out of 1,300 students that were involved meeting in these small groups. But it wasn't just only that. uh, William Borden had this heart for for the poor. And so he found a, a, a place on the strip, and he opened up the Yale Hope Mission. And it was there that he was able to reach out to those that were drunk on the streets or those that were poor and needed food, and they would invite them to come into the mission. A guy who was pretty much a millionaire going out on the street, sitting there bringing food to a drunk who was just there, just lying there, and just, he would come and bring hope to that person and bring them to the mission. At the end of his senior year, it's, it's told that uh, William Borden turned down a number of jobs that would have been great for him. Jobs that, I mean, maybe even working with his dad and the company that they, were, they had going on. But he turned away from that, and he wrote these two more words. He wrote, in, his, in the cover of his Bible, he wrote, No Retreats. He had written this, in, in another notebook, he had written, Say No to Self, and yes to Jesus every time. He wrote no retreats because his life wasn't about himself. It was about Jesus. He intentionally surrendered himself and gained a perspective of living with the greatest hope. Money, being comfortable with everything that the world could offer that wasn't his priority. His life was about Jesus. He went off to seminary and then after seminary, he was ordained into ministry and left to be a missionary to China. And on the way, he had, he had a planned stop in Egypt where he was going to be doing some language studies. And three months into his stay in, in Cairo, William Borden contracted spinal meningitis, contracted spinal meningitis. And 19 days later, on April 9th, 1913, he was dead. And there is no doubt that there were some, maybe some of his friends, that thought that his life was wasted. That he had given up. I mean, he could have stayed in America. His life could have made a, a big impact, and he could have had influence. He could have had the life that he deserved if he had just refused to refuse that call that God had on his life. But the story, it doesn't end right there. As the story goes, his mom attended the funeral in Cairo and, and had received his belongings. And she had his Bible and she opened it and discovered there were two more words written. And the words were, no regrets. And what happened after this was that William's, William Borden's story was shared across America and it was impacting thousands to live their lives in a way that would impact the world with the gospel story. It caused a missionary movement, and what started with a young man who just wanted to live with good, godly character impacted countless people. a young young boy at the age of six who invested and wanted good character, and impacted at a high level years later. In a biography which includes a lot of letters back and forth between Bill and his mom, Bill wrote these words. In every man's heart, there is a throne and a cross. If Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. And if self, even a little bit, is on the throne, then Jesus is on the cross in that man's heart. If Jesus is on the throne, you will go where he wants you to go. This was a man who lived, with his, who lived his life with the door wide open so that others would see the hope that he had. This, I'm just going to invite Whitney to come and just under the keys there. In closing tonight, I, just, I want to give you an opportunity to just answer two questions. As we're talking about character and the impact that character has when you, you invest at a young age and, and you allow that character to grow in your life and c- brings you to do good deeds, I mean, people are going to notice that. They're going to notice this. there's something different about you. And really, what it is, it's an indirect approach to evangelism. And, and I want to make it clear I I value I I think it's so important that to have the direct approach of evangelism as well where we Intentionally and directly tell people about Jesus But the indirect approach Some might call it a lifestyle evangelism But people should know people should notice that there's something different in our lives as followers of Jesus Maybe, maybe some of you have a, a notepad and a pen here if you do that's a, that's great I'm gonna invite you to use that in a little bit but if you don't have something like that I know we're, we have the we're in the digital age here and if you have your, your cell phone you probably have an app that where you can take notes and if you have that I just invite you that you can pull that out I'm just gonna ask you to answer two questions and I want you I want to encourage you to take notes on these questions that you can reflect on during the week The first question, as we're talking about what's your story, is what are the promises you hold on to? And the reason why I'm asking you that question is because these, there's verses in, in God's Word that speak so powerfully to you. These promises will be part of your testimony. So I want to encourage you. I want you to think about some of the promises from God's word that you hold on to. And then the second part is what is your story you need to share? What is your story you need to share? And at this point, just on that question, just just even, just it could be just note, note form or, or point form and just... Sharing highlights throughout your life, times where God rescued you. Because it's part of the testimony that God is going to use to bring hope into other people's lives. Because as you live with your door wide open, people are going to ask, What's different about you? What's different? So, I'm just going to just want you, just as the, the synth is just playing here, just want you just take some time just to, to write or just text it in your phone or whatever you have going on there. Just take a, a moment just to compile those thoughts. What's your, what's, what are the promises you hold on to? And tonight, if part of the story is what I'm sharing, it's maybe for your story, you haven't come to that point where you've received that hope. Maybe tonight you're even questioning well who is this Jesus? I just want to encourage you don't, don't leave here tonight if you don't know the answer to that question. I'll be up here at the front and I know Pastor Luke will be up here and there's others on their young adult team that would be up here willing to just talk to you. But but please if if, if you're sensing just just a burden on you and you because you don't know the answer that to that question please please don't leave tonight without knowing that answer so just invite you afterwards when we're dismissed just to come to the front here and again there'll be some people here willing to talk to you about that the topic of character is I love the topic of character even as the title it said buy low and sell high I mean character it it really does it works that way you invest now because it's going to have a huge impact later so Jesus I thank you thank you that you are at work in our lives and that we don't do this alone You're doing, you're doing good things. And so I just pray tonight, God, as, as we're just asking these this question and we're answering these questions tonight, I pray that you would just bring to mind, God, the promises that have just helped us through dark times in our lives. The promises that we've held on to. And God, as well, just I know it's 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 a tough question when we're asked, what's your story? But God, I just pray that we would be so intentional in just thinking through that story because it's a story that will have a great impact on other people's lives. Again, it's because the hope within us becomes contagious and people want that hope, God. And so I just pray for clarity tonight, God, as we write these stories out. Just thank you for each one here, God. I just pray that they would just continue just to allow good character to form in their lives because it's going to have a lasting impact. In Jesus' name, amen.